Hey everyone, I know you've heard me speak about microdosing and how much I love it. And I'm talking about microdosing THC. I love it. And that's why I love our sponsor, microdose.com. Microdose gummies are incredible. They deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. And when I mean just the right amount of good, I mean in so many situations, anxiety, sleep, focus, pain, relaxation. There are so many different strains and they're really helpful. And I have recommended microdose.com to so many people. And you know what they say to me? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Don't be afraid of microdosing. Go to microdose.com and you'll learn all about microdosing THC. These gummies feel amazing. They taste amazing. I have used them to get me into the zone I need to write. I've used them at night after a stressful day or a stressful show to relax. I have also said to family members, please take a gummy right now. And they've said, oh, good idea. So check it out. Check it out because they're fantastic. And I'm not like a big weed person. I mean, I used to be. And I do enjoy, I do enjoy weed every now and then, but I love, I love these gummies and I take them with me everywhere. So check it out. Don't be afraid. They're all natural. They're fantastic. And you deserve it. So what are you going to do? You're going to do something that is fantastic. You're going to get 30% off your first order. 30% off. That's a lot. Plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Use promo code Judy Gold, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D. It's available nationwide. They deliver it to your door. That is microdose.com, promo code Judy Gold for 30% off and free shipping. Do it. Go to microdose.com, promo code Judy Gold. You deserve it. You deserve it. And you know what else? You're welcome. Well, I don't see the point in waiting any longer. Let's bring her out. The star attraction, the one you came to see. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Miss Judy Gold. Welcome, everyone. I'm very excited about today's guest because, you know, He's in his late 30s and is the fucking so goddamn successful. I can't fucking take it. Okay. But besides that, he is so cute. I love his glasses. He has great lips. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, author, producer, television writer, comedian. Mike Drucker is here, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, it's me. I'm Mike Drucker. That's who you're hearing now. Mike, listen. Yeah. All I have to say is that you were born the year I graduated college. And now, <laughs> it's time for me to end this conversation. Good night, folks. Um, <laughs> so, Mike, people come on my podcast and they're like, oh, what's your podcast? You know, because no one ever listens to anyone else's podcast, even though. Yeah. And, but they tell you when you have a podcast about other great po- Like, they'll be like, oh, my God, have you listened to Blah Blah Podcast? Oh, my <laughs> God. It's, and I'm like, oh, thanks for listening to my podcast. 
so I do, I do a lot of research, you know, yeah. because I love people's stories and that's what my, it's about people's stories. Yeah. Um, all I want to do is talk about your childhood for the first half. And sure. all I know is that you were born on 15th, <laughs> 1984 and you grew up in Florida. Yeah. 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 And uh, I know that we share the uh, incessant bullying, but I really, you're so fucking funny and you're so funny on Twitter and you write, you're the head writer. Thank you. For Samantha B. And you write for a woman, which is even, makes me love you even more. I mean, and your glasses. I mean, I don't even know what to do. I don't know what to do. And that really cool chair. Oh, yeah. What is that? Is that a? It is a, I saw it on the website and I liked it. So I could not tell you what it is. I could not tell you what it's made of. Uh, when I moved to this apartment though, when I got uh, the Sam B job, it wasn't my first TV job, but it was, right. Yeah, I was living in a furnished apartment in LA with a roommate. And so this was like back to me living alone. And I was like, I'm gonna spend actual human money on furniture. So I look like a fuckable adult. And that was part of that. I don't even think you need the chair for the fuckable adult. <laughs> If you don't follow Mike Drucker on Twitter, then you're missing out on life. SNL writer, full frontal, Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, Bill Nye changed the world, Adam ruins everything, video game. I mean, there's a lot to talk about, Chase. So you grew up in Florida, which I just had a fight with my sister (laughs) over Florida because she was like, oh, I love Florida. And I was like, not, not a fan of the governor. And then, no. then we got in a huge fight because she uh, brainwashed. Okay, so <laughs> what Florida did you grow up in? I grew up in South Florida in Broward County, right outside Fort Lauderdale, uh, Ju- about an hour north of Miami. Okay, Juju area. And how many kids in your family? I never have to ask this, but now I have to ask it because I can't find any shit on your childhood. Good. Uh, part of, that's weirdly, there's weird intentionality in some of that. Uh, uh, but that's because my my brother like works in the government. So I try to like keep things civil so we can- Oh, have really? Okay. Um, but my brother, uh, I have a brother, younger brother and an older sister. That's okay. Like three, three. And what do they do? And so you're the middle mental child. You're middle Jan. mental child. You're Peter uh, my, Jan. My yeah. brother works for the Department of the Interior. He's on this. He wants to be on the side of good. So the last two okay. years were rough for him. He's not right. a supervillain. Um, and my sister is actually got into TV wholly separate from me. She went to film school and she became a PA and she's now uh, the line producer for Carpool Karaoke. So it's like a first generation showbiz family. Parents. Parents. Uh, I <laughs> parents. I got them. Uh, uh, my dad. Uh, my dad works for car dealerships in Florida. Uh-huh. Uh, and my mom, my mom was, you know, she was a cash, uh, I mean, she's still alive, but she doesn't work anymore. But she was like, you know, one of those people who did, she worked as a cashier at a grocery store. She worked at, as a cashier at Sears. She had a bunch well, of like, sort of. She was mom. She was, yeah. she had the hardest job out of anyone in that fucking house. Yep. Okay. Yep. And apparently did a wonderful job because all three kids are successful. <laughs> um, she did great. What are their names? Uh, brother's Daniel, sister's Tiffany, father is Dennis, mother is Erica. Dennis, Erica, Daniel, and T- Tiffany, I really, like, seriously, what's wrong with your parents? Well, my parents, well, I, you know what? What's weird is my parents are creative, but they're not always original. Right. And so I, my sister, I think the story is, was named because they were just watching TV after my mom gave birth, and there was a character named Tiffany. And they were like, oh, there we go. 
I'm, they say that I'm named after my great grandmother's maiden name was Mike And they say I'm named after that. I don't quite believe it. I feel right. like it was retconned that to that. Should, they had to make that shit up. Because... Right, exactly. I forget what I... my brother's named after. Yeah, it's not a creative claim. And Erica's a weird name for a woman in her 60s. Like Erica feels like she should be like 23. Right, right. It's so funny. Erica, Erica, come on. And then it's your mom. Right. Um, Erica, we have to go. We have to we go. Right now. <laughs> I know that you were a bully kid, which I really want to talk about because yeah. Yeah. Um, this is, you know, why we are who we are. Um, yeah. Was your brother bullied or your sister bullied? Yes and no. My brother was bullied for a little bit. Uh, he He was sort of fat like I was for a long time, but he actually lost a ton of weight in middle school, I want to say. So like by the time he hit high school, he wasn't necessarily at the top of the food chain, but he sort of lost that that one major thing. Unintended. Yeah. (laughs) Did he go from like obese to like normal or? Yeah, like like obese to to relatively thin. Okay. And then what about Tiffany? Tiffany, Tiffany, Tiffany wasn't, uh, she wasn't bullied, but she was like, an art student, so I feel like my family bullied her for that. Right. Um, so I think like my sister definitely suffered insults and condemnations and cruelty. It just didn't necessarily come from her yeah, age group. And she's the youngest of, and two older brothers. She's the so oldest. Older. She's the oldest. Oh, she's the oldest. That's right. Fuck. Yeah. Younger brother. Shit. I had it all fucked up. Okay. So everything is average. Is that what you would say? Like you're have a house, or you know you yeah. live. And, and you go to school, do you go to public school? I went to public school. Uh, I went to public school all the way through. Um, my sister went to Catholic school the first five years. My mom's Catholic, my father's Jewish, um, which is where the confusion comes in. All of my mom's family's in the Middle East, and Middle East, Midwest. Right. <laughs> all of my family's in the mid, my mom's family's in the Midwest, but all of my dad's family growing up was in Florida. So I grew up right. entirely around kids. Jewish family members, but raised right. by a very Catholic woman. That would make me want to eat. <laughs> it does. It really does. I mean, what mixed fucking messages? Did they have a good marriage? Um, they do now. They didn't have a good marriage then, I would say, but they do now. Right. They're like solid. Right. I don't. I think that they're. I think the term is codependent, which I know is negative, but I yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, like yeah, it. Yeah. You know. No, I know. I think we all end up that way. Yeah. So, um, so did you go to religious school or anything? I mean, I went to CCD. Uh, I went to Catholic Sunday school. And was were your Jewy relatives like Dennis? What is going on with the kids going to the Catholic school? They were when my parents got married. When my parents got married, my uh, my mom's mom was upset because my dad wasn't Catholic, and his mom was upset because she wasn't Jewish. Right. Um, and so I think there was a lot of animosity early on, like actual animosity early on. But I think the moment that my mom popped out a grandkid, they were like, oh, right, we get grandkids out of this. Right, right. And they were like totally on board. I will say though, that it's weird that like, cause I have cousins, um, cause like my my father's sister has children who are Jewish. And so it's weird when you're like, you turn 13 and you get nothing. Right, right, Your cousin right, right. turns 13 and they get it. everything. Right, so you, did you grow up like going to Jew, like family Jewy things. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, but that's also yeah. why I really know only like the big tent poles. Like when right. I have like Jewish Jewish friends in New York, and they're like, oh, "Are you celebrating this holiday?" I'm like, right. "I know like four. Right. And they're the ones everyone else knows, even the Nazis. So, even the Nazis. <laughs> so, 
So that is so fucking confusing. And your mother was like a practicing, practicing. Yeah. She, How did um, they meet? How did your parents meet? They, uh, my mom was actually my dad's boss at a convenience store in Chicago. Wow. Yeah, how about that? How about, and, but I think, he, I think he actually like sexually harassed upward going yeah, by right. the story. Right. Well, so they lived in Chicago and then moved to um, Florida. Florida. Yeah, they met in Chicago. They got married in Chicago. And basically my mom hated the cold. She still hates the cold. And my dad got a job opportunity in Florida that was kind of double what he was making now. And my dad was like, oh, I don't know. Do we want to move up, you know, leave our families behind? And my mom right. was like, yes, let's go, let's go, let's go. And so they moved. Wow. All right. So when you're with your Jewy family as a kid, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you like thinking... Oh, wait, I'm related to them, but they don't think Jesus is the Messiah and they're not like, is it, was it, it must've been fucking confusing. Or it was actually, it it was actually the reverse. It actually made it kind of easy. I will say that my, my, my Jewish family isn't very religious. They're very, very proud of the cultural heritage. Right, right. But, uh, you know, I don't think any of them could say a fucking prayer to save their life. That's out of the standards. Um, so like our Passover when I was a kid was very much my grandfather being, being like, all right, we're, we were sad, salt. All right, skip, 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 skip. Okay, we can eat. Like literally would say right. skip, skip, skip. So, yeah, right. um, um, and my mom, to her credit, she's very religious, but she's not evangelical about it. So like, uh, like when we stopped going to church, she was bummed, but she didn't make it a thing. So right. she was never like, your father's family's going to hell. That was never her MO. Right, right. Um, it was much more like, I don't know. I think it would actually have the opposite effect rather than it being like, you guys are going to hell because you don't believe in Christ. It was almost me being like, seems like there's a lot of people who aren't down with this thing. And right, I'm, right. You know so what I mean? So opened your mind. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, and are, are Tiffany or Daniel religious? Uh, no, I don't, not as far as I know. My right. family doesn't always like talk about personal, personal things. Like even my mom, we know she's religious because we grew up with her. But if you met her at dinner, you wouldn't know. Wow, I yeah. love that. Okay. So you're going to school. Is everyone overweight in your family? Um, my sister, my brother, my dad, and I are very overweight. My mom is incredibly thin. And no matter what she eats, she doesn't gain weight. So we had the bad eating habits of both like a very overweight man with low self-esteem eating through it and a woman who can eat through it because it never right, was on any so. weight. So they both ate a lot. They both ate a lot and they both ate a lot of you know, we also didn't have a lot of money. So yes, we ate crap because it tasted good, but also there was a lot of like, you know, mac and cheese dinners, a lot of Taco Bell dinners, a lot of Burger King dinners, just because my mom was working till midnight. My dad was working till 10, you know? Right. So you were left alone a lot. Yeah. And my, and my sister had to care for us. Like a 12 year old had to care for like an eight year old and a five year old. Right. That's always, yeah. So um, are you good in school? Everyone is good in school in your family? Sounds Everyone's like. good in school. My family, I, I think because my parents, I don't think they overtly felt this, but my mom, she always wanted to go to college. She never got the chance to go at all. My dad dropped out after a year. And I think that to them, they always felt disappointed that they didn't do more academically. Right. And so the 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 good faith way to say it is that they pressured us. And the bad faith way is to say they put us in direct competition with each other. Wow, that's good. Yeah. That's yeah. But oh. uh, my sister and brother were salutatorian. However, I was valedictorian. Yeah, so. <laughs> you have like friends, like yeah. it, so you have your little group. Like I had a group of nerdy. There was like four of us, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it was like yeah. Like when did you realize? Oh, we're fat. We're overweight. We're 
Oh, I, I think pretty early on. Um, you know, I was also a very cute kid until I was about six or seven. So right. I also like, you know, have a distinct memory of like the point when, you know, like old ladies at Supercuts would stop ooing over you. You know what right. I mean? Like there's like, there's a moment when you stop being cute. And right. um, if you're old enough. So around eight or nine, I really chunked up. And I think a lot of it was just the fact that I had been a relatively thin, cute kid. So like clothes felt bad. And especially again, growing up in Florida, when a shirt is tight, it, it fucking feels tight, right, man. It's, right, it's right. wet and it's gross. Like when you're fat in Florida, you know you're fat. Right. Definitely. I can totally relate to the, oh, you're cute and now you're not because yeah. I'm 58. Okay. <laughs> so, and no one is like, you know, I used to get so annoyed with the, uh, hey, baby, you know, and now I'm like, really? Seriously? Like, nothing? Hey everyone, did you know that Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the United States with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the United States? And I'm one of them. You're listening to one of them. Fast Growing Trees has everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, house plants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and your space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever, forever. I just want you to know that I just got off a plane and I walked in my apartment. What was the first thing I did is I came in and said hi to Avi, my fig tree. I'm telling you, and I have Yael, which is another plant, but Fast Growing Trees has changed my atmosphere here in my apartment. You don't need a lot of space, but they do have, you know, they have stuff for outdoor spaces. But I live in an apartment, and I'm telling you, Avi and Yael, yes, they're both Jewish names, Hebrew, the space looks so much better. And I just had a conversation with Avi. Like, I was like, I missed you. I love having living things here. It's very, very, I don't know, it's made this more of a home. It's the best. And Elisa has some too. And she loves them. And she talks to them too. But she got that from me. Anyway, check out Fast Growing Trees. You need to be around plant life. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code Judy Gold, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D, at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code Judy Gold at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code Judy Gold. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. You're welcome. When do you start, you get, like, you get bullied, right? Like, is it, now for me, it was, I get up, I go to school, it starts, it doesn't end, doesn't end. Um, Till I get home, like, did you wake up in the morning and we're like, okay, here we go again, or... What's weird is, um, you know, I didn't have like a specific bully. And so it felt sometimes like things out of nowhere or I would have like temporary rivals, but I would have teachers sometimes bully me. I had this weird thing where I would have teachers, 
I was bullied for small things. I wasn't always bullied for just being fat, but like, right. for example, I hung out with a bunch of goth kids, but I was like the fat goth kid. So like, right. it wasn't even like I was necessarily being like shoved into a locker, but like in the group of friends, I was still being shit on. Right. Um, so there was that, or there was like teachers that I would do well in their class, but they didn't like me personally. So they right. would be weirdly. And again, it's a public school in Florida in like two, 2001. Nobody's right. like, nobody's going to yell at the German teacher, Miss Tice, because she called me fat. But like right. you would get that, you know? Right. Also, uh, Florida and the public schools, not, not no. good. Not no. good. Yeah. So I would get like, uh, you know, in elementary school, I did have a bully. Middle school, I kind of had a bully. Who was High the school, bully in, in, in elementary? Elementary was a guy named Elliot. I forget his last name. It's lost Fuck to history. Fuck you, Elliot, you fucking Elliot. asshole. Fuck you. What's Elliot doing now? I hope he's dead. That could be, like, I, I would like it to be. Um I don't, if he was also the, he, he clearly had a lot of insecurity looking back. He was also uh, the kid who, yeah. who, who like, like, you know, the kid when you're a kid who's like, who's constantly lying, but you know, their line where it's like, my dad has an 80 inch TV. And you're like, right. no, you don't. No, he doesn't. Yeah, right, right. And who cares? Even yeah, if, right. not an 80, if you have an 80 inch dick, then maybe we would care. But who, no one gives a fuck <laughs> about your father's television. Right. Okay. Exactly. So are you are you stress eating are you uh hiding your feelings eating are you just like stress eating definitely stress yeah you know stress Um, eating the moment i learned how to make ramen was like the end of my body at 11 really yeah because instant ramen you just boil a little water toss it in it when you're a little kid it feels like you've cooked a meal right i i would eat like three or four of those outside are they really bad for you i bought a whole bunch for ben they're, no, they're not. They're bad for you if you eat all, all of them at once. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, they it's, are good. They're so good, aren't they're they? So good. They're good. I still, I still eat them. I just don't yeah. eat all of them in a day. Right. So nope, I was like that too. I, you know, I had a joke in my act when I was uh, started out. One of my first jokes about how I was in the marching band, and I had to sell. I can't believe I'm telling this stupid fucking joke. And I had to tell the. I we had to sell candy bars. Yeah. Remember for the school trips and I ate all the fucking candy bars. Like I had to ask my mother for $50, which was so fucking embarrassing, but okay. And you know, I don't think people realize when you look different, all you want to do at that age is blend is just walk in your class. No, just leave me alone. And you're saying like, Hey, how about that? How about those shoes? Right. Right. And you're, you know, I was gigantically tall. And, and it's like, you just walk in, it's like, oh God, it's just like, please just look the other, you know? And I think right. which is why, you know, I write it in my book about how I want to control the laughter. I yeah. want to control it. And yeah, you're not of course. Gonna, yeah. So your parents are working really late. Yeah. Your sister is like the paternal person. It's you and your brother. Mm-hmm. You're eating like shit. You get into video games. Now- I find this fascinating and I really yeah. want to have a discussion about the video game thing because I really want to know, and we're going to talk about Silent Hill too, because it's fascinating. Like I was reading about. Oh, know, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. It, it's so interesting. And the psychological, like the way you talk about it psychologically is so, such a, a different perspective. All right. So I didn't grow up with video games. So right, my yeah. soothing thing you know, I would play music, you know, like I would play the piano and I, right. play, you know, I was in the band or I, you know, you would find shit, you know, my generation, we knew how to be bored. 
we yeah. knew once we were bored what to do with like okay got to find something to do yeah or, or read or make or run around and i feel like this new generation has no idea how to be bored but you get into video games now all i know of video games when i'm is tetris and i was like fucking i was when i was in college yeah I was like the only woman who would go to the fucking game center at the student center and just yeah. play Pac-Man and Atari. Like I was fucking obsessed, but it yeah. wasn't psychological. It yeah, wasn't. So you get into video games and it is soothing yeah, of course. for you in a way. Can you explain, and I have a million questions about this, but can you explain how that, that worked and how sure. you found Silent Hill? I, I think I did. I liked video games since I was a little kid. So even before I was like a chunky kid, I was into games. I definitely think they became a comfort later. You know, and sort of like you were saying, you know, you take control of the laughter when you become a comedian. Um, I think sometimes, you know, as much as we talk about ourselves as artists, when you are doing comedy live on stage, it does feel like you're playing a game. It feels like there's a back and forth, you know, and you're trying to, you know, you're not doing a fucking play where you have to stick to everything. You're like, oh, I'm going to dodge and I'm going to move and I'm going to try to try to get in the direction. Oh, I know what they want. I'm going to get around them. And you know, video games provide a lot of the same feeling. It's, it's you know, um, whereas comedy is a power fantasy that actually plays out in real life and succeeds 85% of the time. <laughs> um, you depending know, on who you are, yeah. Right, depending on who you yeah. are. I'd say 60-40 for me. Yeah. Um, and, but like in video games, it's, you know, again, you get to con- take control of the situation. And as a kid, just like, you know, kids mash Batman into Superman figures, imagine that instead of mashing those two figures together, a company was paid a lot of money to basically go, we've animated them and they mash together just like they do in the cartoon. And it looks like the cartoon, it has the same actors and you're basically playing the cartoon. Right. That's what it felt like to me as a kid was I got to like, not just experience the cartoon, but I got to have an active participation in it. And you also have a participation in the outcome, right? Of the, exactly. of this. Okay. So you're, you have a lot of control. So psychologically you're leaving this fucking institution where you have no control right uh and coming home and going into a completely different world where you are the controller exactly yeah i mean you know look at stuff like minecraft minecraft is after my time minecraft came out when i worked at a video game company right but with minecraft you know the reason it's popular is it's basically legos but you can make games into them right if you're a kid who has no control over your life, but you can build an entire kingdom with your friends and it walk through that kingdom and role play things in that kingdom, that's very, that's very appealing. So would you come home from school and immediately that was it? You were sucked into these? Uh, depending on if I had home, I was usually like homework first person. Uh, I would burn through homework if right. I didn't do it on the bus. Right. But, uh, yeah, you had to take a bus? Oh yeah. my God, I want to give you a hug right now. That's fucking awful. Okay. School bus. Wheels on the yeah. bus, man. They go round yeah. and round. Yeah, no, usually if I had nothing else or I didn't have like to mow the fucking lawn or something, right. I would go home and hit the Super Nintendo, hit the PlayStation, hit the 64, hit the computer. Yeah. And and your parents weren't like, uh, Michael? Well, the, the thing is, my parents are also socially broken people. So right. they didn't have like the, you're being antisocial. And I think because, I think if my grades were doing very poorly, they would have been like, hey, this right. is a problem. But I think to them, they were like, the one thing that we want him to do well, he's doing well. So we let's not broke what's- Right, you have yeah. no, yeah. Um, okay, I want you to explain that the Silent Hill is a, 
you uncover secrets, correct? Yeah. It's a horror video game. Horror video game. Really about a cult, you've mm-hmm. said, in a town. You said twice that you identified in this in this interview. Um, you identified with this woman, this yeah. girl, yeah. and yeah. another guy. Yeah. Um, can you explain? And they're just characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, if uh, for those who don't know, Silent Hill uh, is a game series. It's a horror video game series, possibly a little bit like Resident Evil, which you might be more familiar with, because that's a little more, uh, that's like one step more mainstream. Uh, but in Silent Hill, there's this town called Silent Hill that's basically kind of like Twin Peaks. You know, it's a town that has a dark secret, and people who go to that town tend to get trapped there psychologically. And in these games, you usually p- play one of those people who gets trapped in that town and you're usually being punished for something. It usually turns out that like you did some sort of horrible thing and you find that out later in the game. And in uh, Silent Hill 2, which I actually wrote a book about, there's, you meet other characters who are also going through shit in this town and they're confused and they're lost. And one of them is this woman, Angela. And you find out that she's in this town because she like killed her father and her brother who were sexually uh, assaulting her. Yeah. And uh, another guy, Eddie Dabrowski, who's in that town because he like shot somebody because he was made fun of for being fat. Right. And I really connected to those two because uh, as a kid, a neighbor, you know, did whatever. And uh, which I don't want to go into detail about, but it, it well, is something where I you relate to that. I will kill that person. I will There's, kill that person. You can kill that person. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, but uh, it's something that you relate to because you do carry a lot of guilt. And the game series right. is a lot about guilt. It's a lot about like, what did I do wrong? Did I deserve this somehow? Right. Was my response to it wrong? You know, a lot of Angela's arc is like, was she a bad person for killing the people who were assaulting her? You'd say no, right. but it's possible that if you're that woman and that's your family, you don't right. you don't know how you feel. And so like, you know, you have guilt with things where you're like, should I have said something? Did I try to say something and it didn't work? Should I, you know, like you, you blame yourself. So I definitely related to her. And then there was this character, Eddie Dombrowski, again, where it's like that fat rage, which I don't know if you had, or you ever had bullied rage, but there's like, you get bullied enough as a kid, you snap. Right. Which is, yeah. You know. Why uh, we have a lot of (laughs) massacres. This is going to be a weird question. Do you feel like that because you related to Angela, mm-hmm. what, what was Dombrowski's name? Uh, Eddie. Eddie, Eddie Dombrowski. Because you related to them, do you feel like, because I get this with a lot of guy comics and this all this Me Too shit. I talk a little bit about Bill Cosby in my book. Do you ever think, oh, they're lying or, you know, because there's, like with Cosby, it was like it was so weird for for people yeah, to yeah, even yeah. believe. And I was like, it's not it's not Dr. Huxtable who did it. It's Bill right. Cosby who did it. Right. Yeah. You know? I've never had a situation where I, I where I've I've thought like, oh well, these people there must be a conspiracy to take right, down right, Bill right, Cosby right. or or you know a conspiracy against Louis C.K. Like I right. think there's certain situations you know, like the, you know, no, but like I the, know the, what you're saying. the I know what you're situation saying. where it's like, she told the story to someone else who then no, wrote no, that I story. Can't with that. that is just beyond that one. Forget it. That and, and is I, like bad date, bad date and didn't read social cues, you know, whatever. But 
Yeah, I and I and I believe that it was a horrible experience for her, and she had right. a really and she and it was a horrible time. But but again, like I don't think she was lying. I just think that maybe the editor in writing her story for her, I don't know how exactly. I don't know. Maybe well, I'm talking out of my ass. agenda or not. Yeah. I totally understand that. But I feel like uh, you would be a little more safe for a female comic. Oh yeah, say to speak to and not feel like you know. What did she do? You know, like that sort of shit that we get all the time. Of course, no. Like I I, look, man. I fucking we all know people in comedy. Yeah, we know how bad, how many bad people there are in comedy. So on the front end, I'm not going to be like, wait a minute, a guy in comedy did something wrong. Right, right, right. So I believe on that set and on the back end too. I know how shitty a lot of dude, like a lot of friends of comedians, including other comedians can be. So I know the danger one puts themselves in by even saying something. Right, right. It's so, really slippery slope. So I both believe it happened because I know how shitty people are, but I also believe it happened because lying feels like a much easier path to, I mean, much harder right. path to take than telling the truth. And you definitely have a different perspective, I think, than most straight men. I mean, I also don't have, I, I also hate a lot of, dudes in comedy for personal right. reasons. So okay. I, maybe I'm just ready to believe. Okay. I have a question. As someone who's the generation, you know, older than you, yeah. um, before you, mm-hmm. I believe, and I really want to know what you think about this. I have often thought, you know, these kids who are violent and get their hands on real guns and go to their schools and kill people. Yeah. I often think, okay, if these people, because a lot of times, like they were addicted to video games, they were yeah, addicted sure. to video games. I, I think sometimes if your brain is not working correctly, yeah, um, that you every time you get on and you shoot a bunch of people right, and they're right. dead, and then you get back on and they're back, that maybe there's this disconnect. Like, oh sure, yeah. yeah. Do you feel like there is a link in that way for these kids who are, you know? obviously right, mentally right. ill. And and if so, what do we do about shit like that? You know? Um, well, I think, is that possible that a mentally ill kid could take that from a game? I think, I think it's possible. You know, I'm not a psychologist. I think it's possible. However, I, I won. I think it's so entirely rare. Right. That, you know, what disease are you really curing with it? And if that person's mentally ill is you know, that illness looking for any sign. Is that is right. that sign going to come from movies or music or what have you? Right. It's also, you know, that's also, it's kind of a cultural worry that people have had since novels became a thing. Right. And so sometimes I find it hard to like repeat, you know what I mean? Like, you know, saying like rock and roll is going to make people more violent. Right, and right. Oh, I remember. I will say, I definitely think that, you know, it's possible that these things, any popular media presents role model characters that are fictional characters or fake, you know, musicians, fictionalized versions of themselves that are bad role models that people go, oh, I could impress this person or I'm just like this person. Right. That necessarily has to do with what the medium is and more like the mentally ill person looking up to an image that's a fictional image of a person who's supposed to be not taken seriously. Right. Um, was anyone else in your family into the video games? My brother was. My brother. My brother was. He's not anymore. He plays sports games like all the time, but he's not. He's Same not like my into, kids. Yeah, yeah, that's what my kids play. Um, not, not for me. 
Okay. So when you're in high school, are you involved in any sort of extracurricular activities besides being the valedictorian? Uh, yep. I was in uh, National Honor Society. Oh and, my God. Uh, I was in uh, the science and engineering club and I was in the robotics club um, and German. I was in German club. Yeah, I was in a few clubs. You graduate, was yeah, it, yeah. your parents must have been so proud that you were the valedictorian. They were very proud. They were Did very you proud. speak? You spoke at graduation? I spoke at graduation. What I did. was your speech about? Um, I... My speech was really short because uh, I knew the I knew the salutatorian was going to go long, and I knew that nobody nobody at a graduation wants a long speech. Right. And I deduced that early, so this could be like you could like this could be like my like you know bacteria first sign of life stand up. Right. Yeah. That that's would, what I was thinking. Yeah. Okay, mine was my bat mitzvah, so I'm thinking right. this is your first. Yeah. And, and the thing is like, cause I was assessing the crowd where I was like, okay, he's going, I know he's going to go long. Cause we had to like submit ours and he submitted first. And I was like, right. they're going to be very tired. They're going to want us to just run through this. Right. So my speech was mostly, and I was, I also, I went to a mostly black high school. So mm -hmm. I also knew that I did not want to come off as being like, look who won, you know, right. that itself is terrible. So what I did was I basically turned it around and talked about a lot of the students had gone through personal tragedies throughout the year who graduated. Like a guy uh, uh, was nearly paralyzed in a horrible car crash. Um, another person, uh, we did. We had a person who who died. Um, and so I sort of like went through and I was like, you know, this person did this and this person did this. And that's such like an inspiring way to like overcome. And I actually got amens from the audience, which is better than anything oh, that's I'm ever happened in stand-up. Better than anything in stand-up. I've been chasing oh, that for 30 years. Right. Yeah, so it was like, it was sort of a speech where I just turned it back on the audience and was like, hey, you know, you guys have done more than I have. And I kept repeating right. that. I was like, You're all right, I did was do yeah. yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, we had kids die in our high school. I think it, it's part of the, it's awful. Okay, you end up going to NYU. Now, did you get, why did you pick NYU? I, I'm going to assume it's because New York. Uh, yep. and get the fuck out of Florida. Yep. Um, not that I hate Florida, everyone. I'm just saying, <laughs> it, you know, he wanted to leave. I wanted uh, to leave. Um, so where did your um, brother and sister go to college? My uh, my brother and sister, my sister initially went to the Kansas City Art Institute. Mm -hmm. And then she transferred to University of Miami uh, mm -hmm. because she she went from being visual artist to wanting to go into film. University of Miami is a great school. Yeah, it's a great school. Yeah. My brother went there too. Yeah, that's a and really good school. The two schools I applied to were UM and NYU. So wow, that's it. Yeah, well, I you could have gotten into like you know Harvard, Yale, Princeton. I Stanford. here's the, here's the weird thing is I every because they would have these meetings where you could have these one on ones with them, not like the interview when you're applying, but almost like the hey, are you interested? In yeah, 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 yeah. And in each one. Each one I sort of came off being like, I don't know if this is really me. It feels like these people value their fanciness in a way I don't right. quite connect with. You know, like, 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 it's almost like, um, like I find, I dislike that like frats and sororities are big networking systems. Right, and So right. when someone's like, you know, when you go here, you have a giant networking system. There's a oh, I that's like, I, please, I went through that with my kids, yeah. Right, and uh, with NYU, it was almost like, I don't know, they drop you off in the middle of the city and you figure shit out. And I was yeah. like, that's what that's I want to do. That's it. So um, you go to NYU. What do you study? 
I uh, thought I was going to get into publishing. I really, well, I should back up a bit. I really wanted to make video games, but in high school, I took programming classes and was catastrophically bad at programming. Right. And so I was like, oh, then there's no other way to make a video game. So I sort of shelved that dream. Right. Okay. And then I, um, uh, so I was like, okay, I love books. I'll get into publishing. I'm not good enough to be an author because I hate myself, but I like books. And so I went to, I went to NYU and I majored in English and journalism, yes. journalism yes. just because it could let me do writing right away. Right. right. And, uh, I interned at a couple publishers and it just didn't seem like the industry for me. People sort of seemed like everyone seemed burnt out and everyone seemed like they wanted to go to a different industry themselves. Right. right. And um, and I have friends in publishing and I value publishing because they publish things, but right. it seemed like a tough go. So somewhere in the mix there around my, I didn't know what I wanted. I was like randomly submitting articles to places that weren't going anywhere. Cause I was like, maybe I'll do journalism. I was even like, even though I'm not a sports fan, I started writing sports for the NYU newspaper just so I could like write something. You and know? you knew you were funny, right? And like, when did you realize I'm funny? I um, think I thought I was funny. I didn't know did yet. Did anyone like say, hey, Mike, you're pretty funny. Like you're... they did. They did. And there were signs like I took a creative, like a, like a short story class. Yeah. And the teacher consistently pointed out that he liked that I was the only person who'd write like funny short stories. Right, right. You know, um, while like most, a lot, by the way, a lot of stories about students sleeping with their writing teacher, like very right. overt Fuck me fan fiction. Right, right. Um, but uh, no, but like, you know, people would comment that I tried to write funny, that I tried to be amusing in stuff that I wrote or that like, even like um, academic papers for like, right. you know, when I was in grad school, I got my master's in English as well. Uh, when I- Oh uh, my God. I like school. I like to school. Yeah, no, but like I'd have funny titles or I'd have like jokes within the essay that like made sense with what I was saying. I would just have slipped in a joke and people would comment right. on that. Um, and I just enjoyed it. It was a natural impulse. Maybe it was a natural defense mechanism from when I was a kid. And oh, I just like, yeah. You know. But in my junior year, uh, like maybe like two weeks before I turned 21, I did my first open mic at New York Comedy Club in the, remember the narrow room? Yes. In the fucking narrow room. That's hilarious. And that was, and that was it for me. Then I just kept doing it. So what prompted you to get on stage that first time? I think that, um, you know, I always liked stand-up yeah. until I did it. And then I just stopped liking it, except when I do it. Right. Um, <laughs> like, oh, God. I can't, yeah, and people are like, you watch this one special? I'm like, no. No, of course not. Why would I? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm either going to be mad that I think I could do better or mad that I could never do as good. Right. Yeah, I didn't write that bit. Yeah, Right. exactly. I always liked stand-up and I thought it was cool. And I think like, even like watching, I might've even like watched like last comic standing, like the first season of it and been like, oh, these are normal people. Right. You know, because before the, before the, the most recent comedy boom, I think the image of stand-up was still very Seinfeldy, where it's like people who are a little older than me, who are a little more, maybe like slightly more buttoned up or have it together, who are telling jokes about like families and stuff maybe. Right, right. Because you don't, you didn't get a wide view of stand-up unless you stayed up till 2 a.m. watching Comedy Central. Right. And so it just never felt like a thing that a normal person does. It felt like something that special people do. You could be a doctor, you could be a lawyer. Those are all jobs that have little Playmobil figures. There's right. no stand-up Playmobil figure. There's no, right. you know, so um, 
Uh, I don't know. Uh, people did told you me I was funny. Up, did you hang? Like, because there's it's such a difference between watching stand up on TV, yeah, um, and going to a club. Because what you're saying is, you know, they they were buttoned up, but that's what they presented on TV. But in the clubs, there were a bunch of us who were just like, "What the fuck?" Exactly. Is yeah, it completely um, demystified it immediately. Right. So, how did you feel about after your first set? Were you, did you you know? You get your first laugh and that's the fucking end of it. It was like, yeah, I mean, I even remember it. Uh, It must've been five people at this open mic. I got maybe one laugh. I think it was was more than even, it it was honestly something about my dad masturbating. It was like such a first draft, first set, first open mic type joke. Hilarious, okay. Such a, such a, I don't know, this is fun. But it got like a laugh, and I, but I think it was even more than a laugh, it was like the pure adrenaline, because I never was a drama student. I never did right. plays, you know, it was, and like I had a shot of adrenaline after that speech when I was valedictorian, but right. that felt like a one-off thing. Right. So you then, uh, you, is this when you start writing for uh, about video games yeah. and the really funny articles? That's when I started to do that, because I sort of realized that I had that niche, which I still... Yeah have today right you know, of I, course i just wrote for this thing called the dice video game awards and they basically every year they're like hey just write us a monologue for this and i'm like you got it right um and i get paid so <laughs> which is still the silliest thing that right. we're paid to do this i know um but yeah 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 um i started writing funny articles about video games i started writing for mcsweeney's uh, you know, like I wrote nerdy pieces and submitted those to McSweeney's and those guys. Right. And then I started writing more straightforward pieces, you know, doing stand-up. I also, it's so lucky I went to college in New York because when you start stand-up in New York, you're doing, you're a step further than anyone right, else right, started. Right, right, Yes. You know, you don't, like I have already moved to New York for, you know what I mean? Like, I, right. I, and also you're surrounded by great, I mean, I always say, people are like, oh, LA, Chicago. No, if you want to, I feel like if you want to be a great standup, yeah. you have to, that's where I started too. I mean, it's, the audiences are so theater savvy. They sense bullshit immediately. You can't yeah. get away with anything. And it really teaches you how to be a great standup, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it really does. And, you know, you know, I got, I was lucky enough that I got to like meet people who wrote for The Onion and from just right. doing stand up with Megan Gantz who wrote from, for The Onion, she now, she was one of the EPs on Modern Family. I'm not sure what she's right. doing now, but brilliant lady. I can tell you what she's doing. I, listen guys, I'd like to purchase that house. <laughs> yeah, okay, go ahead. But like brilliant human being and, but she got me into The Onion, you know? So right. I got to freelance for The Onion. See how great women are? Okay, yeah. so then- uh, you get a, a, an internship at SNL. Is this correct? That's correct. Uh, when I was uh, a senior in college, I got an internship at SNL, which I carried into grad school. So how did you get that internship? I applied to SNL and then I didn't get it, but a friend of a friend knew someone in the casting department who needed an intern and no one wanted to intern in New York City casting. Because New York City casting is mostly, who's this criminal for law and order or who's right, this right, dead right. body? Right. And... Um, they were basically like, if you if you intern here a semester, we will get you into SNL. And I was like, sure, fuck it, why not? And so I interned for NBC Casting for, for a semester and it was actually kind of fun. Um, one, you learned how much of a database all of the 
entertainment industry is like when you're yeah. like, all right, looking for a yeah. uh, this, a that, a that, this weight, this height. And there's like 90 people. Right, right, right. Um, and it was cool to see like character actors reading men's fitness waiting right, to be called right, right. in. <laughs> Um, yeah, but from there, I, I interned at SNL. I was in, I was a writer's intern, which is the luckiest break in the world. Oh my God, who were the luckiest writers break. when you were the intern? God, I was, I was there the luckiest fucking year. I was there the first year Andy Samberg was on the show. It was uh, Kristen Wiig's first season, Bill Hader's first season. Oh. Sudeikis had only done like four episodes the previous season, so it's basically right. his first season. Uh, Seth, you know, Seth was, I think Seth was head writer at that point. No, he was there. Yeah. Maya was there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and the thing is, the writers know when you like comedy, you know, because a lot right. of people who intern for SNL like showbiz, and that's perfectly fine. You know, if you want to become a showbiz producer and produce like grammar. Right. Or be an agent or, you know, be adjacent, you know, be yeah. Just, yeah, arm candy. Yeah. Right. But like, um, and so me and this other writer, uh, Jessica Conrad, who now writes maybe for the Simpsons. Uh -huh. um, so we were like, you know, we were both, we were kiss asses, but at the same time, we clearly demonstrated we love comedy. You right. know, we talk about people's, like we go to see the writers one, you know, person shows that they do at like UCB or something. Like we engage with not right. just the stars, but also the writers and what the writers thought. Right, and the process, the process. And the process. Yeah. And through that, uh, we were allowed to start submitting jokes to Weekend Update. And, uh, just got shut like right a fucking way. And I right. took like a year and a half to figure it out, how to write like a monologue joke. But right. What I was the first a, joke you got in? Uh, the first joke I got in, it's not even that great of a joke, but it's something like um, uh, someone on eBay put the entire, like, the entire VHS collection of the show, The 700 Club has been put on auction. And then the joke was like, here's how that auction will go. Going once, going twice, sold to nobody because no one would want that. It's fine. Right. It's fine. Right. Uh, the best update joke I ever got was the inventor of the trampoline died this week at the age of 85. Uh, his friends and family said that they'll always remember his last words, look what I can do. That's the best joke I wrote. I love that. I love that. Um, so how yeah. fucking great did that feel when you got a joke into the... It was, it was honestly like one of those like human moments that, you know, when you're dying, you'll think right. of. Right, 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 that right. That was one of them. It was, uh, I would, I would equate that to my first time I got on stage. Right. Like it was that feeling of like, oh shit, there's a bigger world that I can possibly be a part of. Right. Or in some small way I have. Right. Did you call your parents? Were you like, oh my God. I called my parents. Well, also like, cause, uh, and backing up a bit, when you're there, you get like a list of what's going in, including right. what update jokes are going in. So like there were one or two times when I'd have things that would go to dress rehearsal and, and they bomb or they get or laugh and they get cut because look, honestly, and I don't blame them now being on the other side of it, you're going to cut an intern's joke before you cut a staff member's joke. Right, right. It sucks, but that's, them's the breaks. Right. Um, and so I was always very like, don't call it yet. You have a joke and, and this happened three or four times, you know, just yeah. cut after cut. And so when I saw it finally was going to air, I was like, I'm not even going to call them until update right. starts because I'm certain that it'll be cut at the last second. That's the story. That is such a good lesson because people are like, why didn't you tell me that you blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, because I don't believe it. 
until it's literally on the fucking television or in the, like, I do not, even after I filmed it, I don't believe it's ever going to, you know what I mean? You have to realize that. And are you doing stand-up at all during this time of your internship? Yeah. Yeah. I'm still, I'm doing stand-up, but I'm only like two or three years in. So, you know. Who's in your class of stand-up? Oh man. Great stand-ups. Emily Heller, Lucas Brothers, who are nominated for an Oscar. Um, Mike Lawrence, uh, Dan St. Germain, Jamie Lee. I feel like I'm forgetting like some of the best people. Sean Patton. Um, Sam Burrell? No, weirdly. Wow. Oh, wait, did you say Sam Burrell? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, yeah, I, I heard I heard Dan, Dan Burrell and I was like, no, oh, I don't know Sam him. Burrell. And then I worked backwards. Yeah, I yes. love Sam Burrell. Sam, Sam is, but Sam is a machine. Yeah, and he's so fucking good. He's so, he really is. Like, it, there's not a lot. He's he's the one of his generation. I'm not kidding. He no, is. no, I think you're right. Yeah. There, there's a class of comedian of stand up that's like stand up that right. like I wish I could be, but do not have that energy. Yeah, he's really has such the brain for it. He's so fucking yeah. He's I love that. Great. Thank you so much for listening to part one of Kill Me Now with Mike Drucker. Kill Me Now is produced by Laura Vogel, edited by Colin Schmeling. This podcast would not be possible without the help of Brittany Joe Sandwards. Now, please subscribe. Please leave a review. Please make it five stars. Please beg, beg, plead, beg, plead. Please buy my book. Yes, I can say that when they come for the comedians, we're all in trouble. Please, please, please. And, or the audiobook or the Kindle. It's really great. I'm very proud of it. And you'll love it. You will love it. Go to judygold.com. You can, there's links to buy the book there. There's information on me because I'm so fascinating. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at judygold, J-E-W-D-Y-G-O-L-D, because I'm a Jew, uh, for all upcoming gigs, dates, thoughts, feelings. And uh, that's about it. I'm, I'm very... I'm very happy we're ending this fucking pandemic at some point soon. Um, But still, get your vaccine. You know, wear your mask, please. And uh, and just be well. And, um, oh, if you haven't watched Hysterical, the, the film that is on, it's a documentary, it's on Hulu, then we're done. We're not friends anymore. So check that out as well. And that's it. And I hope you have a wonderful week and that you tune in next week. And thank you so much for listening. And as we always say, so long. Don't forget to tune in next week to Just Kill Me Now. Um, or, let's just kill me. Oh. Don't forget to turn uh, for part two on Just Kill Me. No, it's not. It's <laughs> just, just Kill Me. Now. No, no, Judy no. Gold's Just, just kill, kill Me. me now. Just, just Kill Me Now. <laughs> <laughs>